Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Go Boldly uh, the Go Boldly podcast. I am so excited. I'm Scott Spate, and I'm your host, and I'm so excited to have Terry Gaynor on the call today. Um, Terry has got such a such an amazing story, and um, and I think you're just going to be blown away by hearing some of his stories, some of where he's where he's been, where he, where he's come from, and, and what he's gone through. And so, welcome to the call today, Terry. How are you? Scott, I'm doing great. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this. I know we we talked a couple weeks ago, and and I've been without internet, so it's we had to put it off. But um, really, been looking forward to the to this to this call today. So um, tell tell us who is Terry Gaynor, and and, <laughs> and and start with kind of where you started. Scott, I appreciate that, and uh, thank you very much for your continued service. So, um, I generally joke that I'm a legend in my own mind. Uh, and my wife constantly puts me in place uh, with that. But, you know, I've been fortunate to have a lot of opportunities and they're interrelated with uh, where I went to school and how I went to school and then some military time, then back to school and then different jobs I have. But probably most influenced by the people uh, for whom I worked and for those I worked with. So that's kind of who I am in one portion in my personal life, uh, I am married and have six grown children, uh, and I have 14 grandkids and two great grandkids. So family has been an important part of my life. Uh, I met my wife, Irene, when we were in high school. I was in an all-male Catholic school. She was in a co-ed uh, female school, co-ed, of course, uh, but it wasn't too far from Mendel High School on the south side of Chicago. And um, I asked her out after seeing her in a play on a blind date, and it was our first date. Our first date actually was our senior prom, and oh it was gosh. a go from there. And we married about five years later. Uh, she's a nurse and an attorney and uh, is in her final days as a nurse working for the Peace Corps. So that's oh been very important. I yeah. grew up in a big family, a family of 10, nine brothers and sisters. She grew up in a family of seven. Uh, four of my brothers were Chicago policemen, and one was a fireman. One was shot and killed uh, while I was on duty in the Navy. Uh, she has two brothers who are policemen and her father. So we come from a big police family. In fact, Scott, in Chicago, there's been a gainer on the Chicago Police Department every year for the last 116 years. Oh my gosh. So going into policing uh, was almost automatic as if it was a family business, and still, unfortunately, um, the business is good from uh, the serve people who serve. It's bad uh, because of all the violence out there. But that was an important part of uh, the beginning after uh, um, I got old enough to join. Wow. Wow. That's that is a lot of years of, of police. And Chicago is not the easiest place for a police officer to serve these days. That's for sure. Well, I, the truth of the matter is uh, policing has changed so much. I don't think anybody has an easy job. We right. lamented that we thought it was uh, horrendous back. I came out in 1968. Actually, I was in college at St. Benedict's College in Kansas, and I quit, uh, well, just before. One, it, 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 I don't want to make this too long a story. It'd be very boring. Uh, I went, uh, I had an opportunity to become a cadet for the Chicago Police Department. My dad really wanted me to go to college. I was the first one to go to college. And he said, you know, the policing will come, get your education. Uh, so I did. I went off to St. Benedict's, began majoring 
uh, first in math. I found that wasn't my forte. I switched to sociology. Uh, but after a year and a half, my dad had died uh, while I was in uh, uh, a freshman in college. And I really was actually itching uh, to get into service and to go to Vietnam, as strange as that sounds. So uh, um, in the uh, fall of 1967, the winter, um, my buddy and I, we grew up together. We both went down and tried to enlist in the Marine Corps, but there was a delay. We were ready to go then. And we walked right next door and we joined the Navy together, went off to boot camp together. Wow. And got assigned to our first ship together. Well, we were going to be corpsmen and still get to Vietnam with the Marines. The Navy saw where they needed us was on board a ship, not as a HN, a hospitalman, but as a, uh, a handyman. It wasn't what I thought. But blessedly, what the Navy did, the military did, since I had about a year and a half of college, uh, they transferred me to a program, the Reserve Officer Candidate Program, sent me back to college, stayed in the reserves uh, until I graduated and then was uh, um, activated in the Navy as a young ensign. Wow. Wow. So how many years did you serve in the Navy? Well, I did 33 years. Uh, all together in the Navy, about five of that was in the, re well, the first several were as uh, an enlisted man in the reserves, and then uh, on active duty for three years, and then I stayed in the reserves uh, and retired as a captain in the year 2000. Oh, my goodness. So what have you, what have you done since, since then? Because your, your life took a drastic change after that. Yeah, I, you know, I went back to policing and was very happy to do that, much to my wife's surprise. I volunteered to go to Vietnam, Scott, and uh, again, I, I had a strong sense that I wanted to do that. I probably wasn't paying much attention, too much attention to all the news and the Paris Peace Corps going on, and maybe the folly of some of the information we were getting from elected officials, but right. I volunteered, I went, I went to long language school, I went to Sears school, and then assigned to uh, the second uh, military region in Vietnam, the coastal region in Quinh Yan in a harbor defense unit. Uh, so that was very, 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 very interesting. My wife supported that. Um, the captain I had on board ship when he actually supported me volunteering, I was on East Coast Amphib, um, wanted to make sure she understood what I was getting into. And I went over there and served for about seven months. And sometimes I kid and say, well, we were winning when I left. Uh, but obviously it was not a good end for America or for, for the South Vietnamese. But I stayed in reserves after that. Notwithstanding the Navy, now this is interesting. The Navy promised people who volunteered that you could pick your next duty assignment and graduate school. So my time in Vietnam ended. I then started looking uh, to see what was next for me, still wanting to get back to the police department. Uh, and then the Navy and their wisdom wanted to send me to Navy postgraduate school, beautiful place in Monterey, and they wanted me to be an engineer. Now, the problem with that was, I told you I didn't do well in the math in college. I was a sociology major, and uh, I figured I was more of a street corner sociologist, and engineering was not my thing in 1973. I was well aware how tough it was to be an engineer aboard ship, so I declined that, came back, went on the police department. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's engineering is totally different. And, uh, and, and math just doesn't make sense to me, especially, especially when you add X's and O's and um, all of that stuff. 
Well, but I found going back to the police department, it was good. I stayed in the reserves. The reserves was great training. The Chicago Police Department, like many, weren't real strong on development, leadership development, and a vision where you wanted to be. I had a vision. I wanted to be the superintendent of police. So I, uh, the, God bless again the military. So for graduate school, they helped me through get my master's degree. Uh, I stayed steady while working as a homicide detective and got my law degree all on the government's dime. So I've got nothing but praise for how good some of the benefits for us were then. I made sergeant. I was then uh, put in some uh, administrative roles. I became the chief law enforcement officer uh, of the, the, the chief legal officer, excuse me, for the police department. And I was still waiting for my next promotion in the police department, which sometimes came five and six years away. And there was a lot of politics in it. And you'd take a written test, you wouldn't get an answer on what the score was for three or four years. Oh my gosh. Uh, those different experiences really helped me because fortunately, uh, I had an opportunity to be detailed to the Illinois State Police. They wanted someone who was a Chicago police officer as a liaison. I did that for a couple of years wearing a CPD, Chicago Police Department hat. But ultimately, they asked me to be uh, an inspector on the police department, on Illinois State Police. And then I left the Chicago Police Department, retired from there, and was named deputy director of the Illinois State Police. I did that for about a year and a half. Governors changed. And ultimately, the governor came in there and uh, asked me to be the director of state police. So I put it in about 10 years there. And Scott, the the professional development uh, on leadership and managing people and budget really came about through the work and people I associated with in those various units in uh, the reserves and going on active duty that really helped get me in the best position to advance in my uh, police career. You know, the, the discipline is, is so important on both, or at least it has been in the past, it's so important on, on both of those levels on the, the Navy reserve side and the police reserve side. And if, if you're not disciplined, people get killed. Oh, for sure. And, and that is, I think that's sometimes why think, you know, things happen. We, we lose that discipline. We lose that, that uh, being that forefront of the mind. And um, you know, that's going back and looking at where you started and saying, okay, I, I joined the Navy as a, as a reservist, as a, uh, as, you know, as an enlisted person, and then to make it to the point where the governor, you know, put you into that position. Did you, did you ever look back and, and think, wow, how did I, how did I get here? Well, I've thought that many times. <laughs> and the other thing is even the next things I did, the, the point of this, after all these experiences, whether it's the 30 four years-ish in the Navy and the Reserve and these different police positions because I did another 20 years in policing. I finally feel now at the ripe old age of 76 that I really could be a good chief of police. I just don't <laughs> have the energy or the time and maybe gotten uh, too lazy to lead a major organization. But it's those collective things. And as I mentioned in the beginning, it's the people I work for and with who help shape me. So in those various grunt roles, whether in the military, uh, as a uh, as an enlisted person, or the various roles growing up in the uh, commission service, watching my leaders, seeing who 
I liked being around, who I thought were good people, and I wanted to work with. And I saw some, I was taught some lessons, and I learned those lessons and tried to apply them later. Just as I tried to do in my police career, saying, oh, my God, I wish I hadn't done that or made that decision. And there's scores of those. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I think we've all got got those lessons. You know, it's funny. I just did a video about an hour ago talking about the power of other people and how how other people impact our careers. They impact what we do. They impact what, you know, no, there's no one that's self-made. We talk about we hear these these stories of whether well, self-made millionaire. They're not self-made. Somebody else contributed along that that path and for you it's it was the impact of all of these individuals from your your own family to other police you know other leaders such as the governors that continue to see something in you that continue to allow your your career to advance to the point that it got to yeah absolutely that was the case and it was uh, someone I had met on the Chicago Police Department, who was growing up about the same uh, the, the same time, and um, ultimately we were both competitors to be the superintendent of Chicago Police Department. Neither of us were selected for that. I wanted to get uh, back into city policing, and um, uh, um, my 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 partner uh, Chuck was selected to be the uh, chief of the um, Washington, D.C. Police Department, a large organization. This was uh, 19, 19 uh, excuse me, 1989, 1988, 1989-ish. I wanted to get out of state policing and back to city policing, and Chuck Ramsey asked me to come out and be his number two, uh, the chief executive wow. officer. So, uh, again, uh, God bless my wife. Uh, we had moved to Springfield as the head of the state police, picked up and moved out to Washington, D.C. with still three of the younger kids in the house. Uh, and I became the executive assistant chief of Washington, D.C. and gave a completely different perspective of city policing and in all the mix of what goes on in Washington with the demonstrations and high crime rate they had. Then, of course, uh, right about that time, uh, um, we were attacked on 2001. Uh, I was, again, the head of operations, and that changed, again, the policing right. and the threat. And I was asked then to go up and be the chief of the Capitol Police, really an organization not many people had heard of um, prior to uh, the January 6th insurrections, but helped yeah. rebuild that department after the 2001 and the uh, attacks of September 11th. We rebuilt it. Wow. And uh, then I'd done that for about four years, really wasn't getting along quite well with the house side of things. Um, they, they, that's a different type of governmental organization. <laughs> and I left and took over a position uh, um, helping back out the military. They, uh, the Army or the Department of Defense granted a large award to try to bring senior law enforcement officers and embed them in brigades and battalions in Iraq and Afghanistan, so that rather than just blowing things up, could we do use our investigative skills to um, follow the money, follow the uh, uh, people doing it, follow the uh, equipment they were using. So we ended up under that grant, hiring a hundred senior law enforcement agents of uh, 
uh, city, state, and federal, and it was pretty successful. Right in the middle of that, though, then the politics changed uh, up on the Hill, and uh, the Senate went from a Republican institution leader to a Democratic leader, and he gave me a call and said, would I come back and be the uh, Senate sergeant at arms? And that, again, is a position most people wouldn't know uh, except State of the Union might see some of the verbal things you do publicly. Yeah. But obviously, we now know the critical role they played as both uh, the chief law enforcement officer overseeing the police department and then all the other administrative things up there. So all those things, I guess, from that time I uh, uh, went through boot camp in 1967 in Great Lakes through commissioning to Vietnam and back to the reserves, different police assigns, uh, assignments prepared me to uh, how to manage uh, the goings on at the Capitol and the surrounding areas. Oh my gosh. What a, what a career. I mean, that just, and, and this, to see the things that you've seen and, and to experience the things that you've experienced, you know, there's not many people that can say that they've experienced that. And, and I find it fascinating that they sent you, you know, the, the policing over in Iraq and Afghanistan shifted a little bit, um, especially me being in the military, you know, that, that fascinates me that, you know, we take police officers and, and embed them in to, to follow that money and to, to look at things from a different perspective when it comes to war. Um, I'm, I'm curious of all of the positions that you've held, what is, what's been your absolute most favorite? Like what, you know, what is your, what's, where's that sweet spot for you? Well, you know, first thing, I, I think all of them have had their ups and downs, but I will tell you from a practitioner point of view, the nearly eight years I spent as a homicide detective on the west side of Chicago, where unfortunately we we had about 200 murders in our area along, alone, along with uh, the non-fatal shootings and the sexual assaults. Um, that was a lot of work, um, but to me it was the essence of some policing. Now, I wasn't really in the prevention business then, right. uh, because uh, except finding the homicide offenders and getting them off the street. So policing then for me was very different. It was more of a real practitioner. How do you solve a crime? How do you speak for the dead? Um, and I did enjoy that. Parts of it I did not like. Yeah. Um, you know, the interactions with the victims' families, uh, working on murders of police officers and children's. But, you know, I've maybe used the terrible analogy. If you were a brain surgeon, uh, you're not wishing ill on anybody, but you want to be involved in the surgery. Yeah. And that it was. But I've often said, too, being the chief of police, the director of the Illinois State Police, uh, or being the deputy chief of police in Washington, or the chief of the Capitol Police, or the chief law enforcement officer of the Senate. Those aren't bad gigs either. And they really expanded the things I did in the interaction with elected officials, yeah. um, uh, heads of state from other areas, or presidents talking to them on a very personal basis. And uh, um, it was a heck of an experience. You know, I having a counseling background and a coaching background and, and trauma is something that I enjoy um enjoy working with 
with people around trauma and, and that sort of thing. And so a lot of times we talk about military and PTSD and, and now there's a term of PTSG, post-traumatic stress growth. We fail to remember sometimes that police officers are experiencing probably more so now that we're not at physical war, more PTSD than, than our military. How did you handle that? Well, you and your viewers may know that the suicide rate of, of the military and police is uh, way above what normal society is. And yep. sometimes I think it, uh, policemen are, uh, or a first responder or military, someone is killing themselves about every 30 minutes. And we didn't in my first 30 years plus years, uh, we didn't think that. I, I will tell you back in my young police days, in the homicide days, um, we didn't have a sense of accumulated trauma. So after I got off work back in those uh, early 70s um, and then into the 80s, you know, if you had a tough day at work, um, it was not unusual for the gang to go to some local watering hole and, uh, okay. and wash the dust out of your throat. I mean, it was not a very good way to reduce stress. It wasn't good physically on you, and it certainly wasn't good for, for marriages. So right. you really had to develop a little bit more self-discipline to make sure that um, getting stiff or having a few drinks after a tough day is not a solution. Yeah. But honestly, police departments were not good. The police department uh, that I grew up in, the police department I ran, we didn't concentrate on those things. And the mm -hmm. terrible lessons that learned we learned was the accumulation of that trauma from uh, men and women serving in Afghanistan and uh, Iraq, then coming home a lot to the police business. Yeah. It was just heaps and heaps of hurt and pain. So how I handle it, I think I got lucky. I think about it a lot. I think about some of the first cases I handle. I think about the police funerals that mm -hmm. I officiated at and worked with the families. And it frankly makes me teary eyed many right. times. So I can get really choked up very easy at hearing taps or the national anthem or seeing police funerals at other jurisdictions or walking through uh, Arlington National Cemetery. Wow. You know, I've, I've served as, as a chaplain in hospitals uh, off and on for many years. And there's, there's some traumatic cases that I always tell people, there's some cases you'll never forget. There's just, there's the, there's the, you know, baby Anna that I, or baby Ava that I dealt with years ago. It has since passed, recently passed. Um, you know, meth had rear-ended her mama doing 75 miles an hour while she was sitting still. And that, that poor baby, you know, had severe brain damage. I'll never forget that case. And there's just some cases that, as I, as, and I'm sure being a police officer that, there are some homicides or some situations that you'll that just stand out more that you'll never ever ever forget. And you know, we were we were subconsciously taught for years to be to be resilient. We don't teach that much anymore to be resilient. And 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 I think that we, you know, you you taught yourself. I gotta, I've got to be resilient. I got to jump back in. I got to go, go home tonight, take a shower, go to bed, and get up and do it all over again tomorrow. And you know, we live in a society where people don't have that same resiliency. 
And, and, and that's where I think the suicide rate just continues to skyrocket because people don't know how to, how to deal with those, those types of things. And, um, you know, and, and I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think you are one of the fortunate ones that got out alive and survived. Didn't mean it didn't leave scars, mental and emotional and probably physical scars. Um, but I am, I'm so grateful that you, that you were able to, you're on the other side of it. And well, still- you know, I appreciate you saying that. And if we have time for one little Navy, interesting Navy story for me, it was, it was um, 1972. I was back from Vietnam. I was on board a ship, um, an amphib in the North Atlantic. It happened to be August 1st. And I'll tell you why I remember that so well. An ensign sleeping in a small uh, uh, cabin on a good side. You know, amphibs are pretty good size. Right. Um, and it was uh, an ensign, you know, this is, it's a junior person. So uh, there's a lot of pressure on you. And uh, I was a new commissioned officer at that time and sleeping in my rack, upper rack in there. And all of a sudden, the door to the stateroom flew open. It was dark, of course. And the uh, what a gruff voice said to me, Ensign Gaynor. And I knew that voice. It was the captain, an 06 of, mm. the, of this deep, deep draft vessel. He came flying into the room and uh, I jumped out of that rack thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? And, and I, I stood there with him in the dark, uh, me in my shorts and he in his khakis. And he said, I got some bad news for you. And I said, Sir, Captain, what's that? And he said, your brother's been killed. And I said, my brother's been killed. Who? He said, yes, um, he was shot and killed. And mm-hmm. I said, how did that happen? And, I, and he said, and I said, which brother? And he said, the policeman. And I said, well, Captain, I have three brothers who are Chicago policemen. Can you tell me which one it is? And he said, no, I don't know that. Now, this is uh, late in the night on uh, August 1st, mm. um, 19, 1972. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was. It was. And you have to, you would know this and your viewers suspend your disbelief. There wasn't telephones and communications. Right. We could not get the information needed. Uh, we were in the North Atlantic uh, going by the Azores. I was hoping they'd put me off so I could get back to Chicago. But we finally got the information that it was my brother, Jack, who was uh, shot and killed. Um, but we got that through ham radio operators relaying from the ship to someplace in central uh, United States to get me the information. Uh, but the way he addressed me and handled that uh, was uh, jaw-dropping because uh, it was not an ounce in my mind of empathy or sympathy. And he actually did nothing to get me back to the States. I ultimately got back to the States when we got to uh, to Europe. But, you know, that type of thing made an impression on me. And God bless us, the military now has has gotten much smarter. Slow but steady, yeah. they've gotten smarter. And so I'll, I'll never forget that. I remember that captain very, very well. So as I grew up in the Navy and I grew up as a police leader, I said, I'm going to make sure that's not the type of crap uh, and the way I treat people. Sometimes the worst leaders can be the best teachers. The worst leaders can sometimes be the best teachers. Well, and some of the best experienced people, if you don't mind one more anecdote from an old timer, I think you talked to one of my uh, former bosses, Bill Pickle. I did. Uh, Bill was a door gunner and a helicopter in Vietnam a couple of years before I was there. 
He ultimately came back, had a very successful career with the uh, Secret Service, rising uh, as a uh, assistant de- director, became the uh, Senate, uh, excuse me, yes, the Senate Sergeant of Arms. And he actually was my boss when I was a chief. Oh, and, wow. And I learned a ton from Bill. Uh, we, we commiserated a little bit about Vietnam. Uh, he gave me the business for being a Navy puke who was on a base <laughs> where you occasionally had a shower and he told his horror stories. And it turned out when um, when that chamber, the Senate chamber went from Republicans to Democrats, um, I was asked to come in and replace Bill. So the second call I made after advising my wife that I was leaving that uh, job that I had taken with the, the government in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan, was the Bill Pickle. Wow. And I said, uh, Bill, I got something to tell you. I've been selected to replace you. And he knew he was going to be replaced because that happens when there's change of uh, politics in there. And I said, I only have one piece of advice for you. And he said, what's that? And I said, get your feet off my desk. Uh, so <laughs> so he, he, he laughed, of course, and we had a great transition from one to the other. And he's been my mentor and friend since then. So, you know, there's gallows humor and policing in the military and some of the things we do, yep. but there was good and bad. And Bill Pickle was the type of leader that uh, I jump on a grenade for. Oh my gosh. That's, that's what we, those kind of leaders are few and far between and we need more of them in, in our lives and in, the, and in this world. And, uh, and, you know, as we, as we close, and we talked about this a while ago, What's what's some of the best advice that you've ever been given that you can share with our with our audience? I think you have to be open to to new opportunities mm. um, and be flexible and do more than ask. I mean, you you really have to be self actualized, proactive. What is it you don't know, and what can you learn? And uh, wow. then uh, look for those good mentors. And watch the bad people you work for or the people who lack some of the skills and have some of those as I don't want to do. And maybe the other thing is this. you got to acknowledge your mistake. Mm. You know, there's another saying, you know, if you screw up, you got to fess up and clean up. And uh, then you can march on and be stronger for it. I love it. I love it. You know, that's. That I think what stands out to me the most is be be flexible. I, I see so many people that are so rigid, and the I don't think I would be where I'm at today if I hadn't been as flexible as I have been and being willing to to stretch and to to take on new opportunities. And so, you man, your stories we could probably stay on here all night long with with stories that uh, of leadership and stories of um, of death and dying and. Um, I am, I am so grateful for, for you and for the work that you've done and, and just to keep Chicago safe, to keep the world safe, to keep us safe here in the U.S. Hey, Scott, I, I appreciate you did this. And I just want one more thing. I'm here. I stepped on you. I'm sorry. A little delay in the, from Europe to here. Um, I married up, as we say, I married a wonderful young woman, uh, who went to nursing school then got her bachelor's degree, then got her law degree, uh, had those six children. She's a wonderful partner. So. I got lucky in a lot of areas. That was a big one. Well, it sounds like she is an incredibly smart woman to go from being a nurse to an attorney and marrying you. So there you go. I was smart to ask, ask her. She was smart to say yes. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, next time I talk to uh, Bill Pickle, I'll have to let him know that uh, we had a great call. And uh, I'll just look forward to seeing what what's next for you, because I know you're not done yet. Scott, thanks for your service. Take care of those troops and keep us in your prayers. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you.